That first year is crucial because you get your applications in, they get passed because the planners haven't got a clue how to stop them. Councils get better at knowing the sneaky, conniving, uh, malicious ways uh, of blocking yeah. those applications. To find a way. It doesn't mean that you won't get them through. Uh, like in the first year or so, you know, everything goes in first pass. Mm. Uh, but you have to know the rules inside out better than they do. I was at a comedy club, but we sat in the front row. He first um, chatted to someone else who was on the front row. And um, she, he said, what do you do? She said, I'm a doctor, pediatrist and all of that. And the whole audience clapped. Yeah. And then he picked on me. But I thought, I thought after the whole audience clapped yes. this woman for being a doctor, I just said, I'm a buy-to-let landlord. Yes. And there were booze. <laughs> and boo. There were about 400 people at the comedy store. They were all booing. Ranjan had been involved in property for more than three decades, a very long time, huge amount of experience. And also on the Property Elevator show, where I guess it's a little bit like Dragon's Den for property investors, investing in people's deals. And one interesting thing we were speaking about this a few days ago that's changed is the type of deals you're investing in now compared to maybe uh, last season's show. What do you think is creating that change? Oh, absolutely. I mean, season six now is on the telly uh, at the moment. There's a massive difference between types of deals that got funding in this season compared to previous seasons. I think, first of all, um, because the market's more uncertain. Previous series were filmed at times when the market's booming. Yes. In a, in years, and it's essentially property developers mm. that are coming along with a property project and they're looking for funding, they're looking for mentoring, um, they're looking for investment in them and the project. Yes. Now, when you're doing a property development project in a boom time, then um, by the time you finish the project, um, you've got a nice wind in your sails. Now, when you do property development, you don't, and you don't know what the market's going to be like when you finish the thing. Yes, that's a different ball game. Yes, if you're working on a, a tighter margin, and say twenty percent or something, and the market moves ten percent, you're 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 stuck. Yeah, you're, you're stuck, and that's the first there. thing. You know, when you work back, you'll see that some deals got funding in previous seasons mm -hmm. where you know a twenty twenty five percent margin. In this season, nothing got funding if it wasn't a thirty five percent margin. Interesting minimum. Yeah, uh, I think the other main difference is the. Um, time to get everyone's concerned about exit more than ever yeah. and the quickness of exit you don't want to be in on a three-year deal because mm. what the market's what's going to be the market life in three yes. years it's really you want a short as possible exit horizon um, and of course you know in a some people rock up and they say you know this is a 30% return mm. it's a 30% return and we exit in three years well that's 10% a year yeah, it might Give be me 30% 30 in nine months. Yes. Um, so there's that as well. And I think um, people will see from this season, um, there's a strong bias towards permitted development. Yes. Permitted development deals that got funding. Uh, because, of course, with permitted development, the planning risk is mm. taken away. You get your permissions in 56 days. And because the fabric of the building is there, you've got the walls, building, foundations, roof, yeah. windows, everything. It's internal reconfiguration. So it's quick to do, it's mm. quick to get in and out, and it's quick to get a get a return. Yes. So these changes in planning happened uh, fairly recently in the last few years, but there's some additional changes also in the pipeline now as well. How do you think they will uh, impact the market? What are some of those changes? Are well, I think the um, important thing to remember is what actually happens when anything new comes in in PD. And it's the same pattern every time. Now. 
the important thing is that people get educated and they learn about these changes so that as soon as they come in, they hit the ground running. Because here's what happens. When a change is implemented, uh, vendors, auctioneers, estate agents haven't got a scooby-doo what's going on and they don't have that idea for a year. They tend to have the idea when they see someone down the road yes. has bought a property and they find out what they've done with it. Mm. That's the first thing, and that's that's very, very important. Yeah. And that was very common we'd see when office to residential yes. became the kind of the first yes. Yes. Uh, rollout of this, as it were. But the time horizons, when, when that first happened in 2013, we had a good run. Yes. We had pretty much between 2013 um, and probably up till 2016, yes. it was an open goal yeah. before it got And then at that point... Even the sellers, the agents were, were building exactly because they could see the potential. And with the rule change, with the new rules in 2021, Minimums. again, it took um, probably about 18 months to two years before that became sort of more common knowledge. There's the other thing that is um, happening, and people need to know this uh, why permitted development exists. Mm. It exists because the government knows that the planning system is a pile of poo. Yes. And left to local authorities, they, won't, they don't want to pass anything. Yeah. When you put in a planning application, you put it to the development control department, not the development enablement department. Yes. Yeah, They want to block you. So central government is saying, here a bunch of rules, stuff you, this allows you to do this, this and this, and the planners can't do anything about it. So what, you, what, the plan, what Michael Gove will do with this, uh, this new paper when it comes out, you know, they'll basically stun the uh, planners. Um, they, will have to, they will not know how to respond to it. Yeah. And that first year is crucial because you get your applications in, they get passed because the planners haven't got a clue how to stop them. Yes. So what happens after a year or so, once PD rules are known about, one, vendors, auctioneers, estate agents know about it. And secondly, um, councils get better at knowing the sneaky, conniving, um, malicious ways uh, of blocking yes. those applications. To find a way. It doesn't mean that you won't get them through. Uh, like in the first year or so, you know, everything goes in first pass. Mm. Now, um, we we only buy stuff that, or my students only buy stuff that we know will get passed. But they all fail on the first go okay. and you have to resubmit. Right. Uh, but you have to know the rules inside out better than they do. Yes. And that really comes in after the first year. And what I also uh, found previously when some of these changes happened, I said the planners were slow to respond. They they were not sure what to do with these applications. It's the person making the application who said he's more aware, yes. understands the rules better than the person uh, looking at it to assess it. That's absolutely it. And, um, you know, nowadays, of course, they all get together. You know, they get together from different councils, the planning officers get because the planning officers are dealing with everything from someone putting up a, you know, an outbuilding in their back garden or ex uh, an extension to the house and also PD. Yeah. So they can't be, and the thing with normal planning applications, you know, they can come up with all sorts of crap, like, you know, this upsets the, and these are phrases I've all had in planning applications. Um, it upsets the rhythm of the street scene. What the hell does that mean? You know, with PD, yeah. it's tick boxes. And they don't really know how to do that because they'd like to throw in an opinion and reject it on that yes. as opposed to um, when it's a tick box. It either says you can or you can't. There is no grey. It's and either provable or it isn't. planning because it's not like it's a scientific formula. You follow X, Y and Z and you'll get the result. Uh, there's so much uncertainty. You don't know what will happen, what will get thrown back. 
what might be issues. You can mitigate some of it, but there's no certainty in planning. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, uh, I mean, before 2013, uh, I did everything planning. Uh, I did commercial con residential conversions even before 2013 under planning, mm -hmm. and that was a pain. Uh, but I had one case under planning where we did put in an application um, for uh, um, on two sides of the same street for flat conversions, identical schemes to identical houses to the same council. One got passed, one got rejected. Right. Uh, what do you do? Yes. I mean, it got through later on, but it just went through different case offices. Yeah. And they took a different view to it. And it's sometimes a lack of commercial awareness um, on the planner's part as well of what impact this might have because some people are not in a position to be able to sit and wait because they might have finance costs or other costs they're incurring and they need to get back out of that deal. And I guess that's why the risks are so high with uh, planning. Planning, yeah, and it's the uncertainty because you don't know whether it's going to take eight weeks, eight months or three or four years. Um, whereas there are certain um, uh, uh, timeframes by which planners have to respond. Yes. Um which, which brings that certainty to mm -hmm. it as well. And I think the, the thing with permitted development schemes is that provided you know the PD inside out mm -hmm. and you've educated yourself on it, then you can, you can self-assess whether you're going to get it or not. Yeah. So some of this is about knowledge and understanding. Some of it's about timing as well, getting that timing right. And also speaking about property elevator just now, it's okay, how is the market being approached right now to what it was previously, timing and current changes happening? These opportunities always seem to be evolving. The current window that exists, what's your thoughts on how big or how small that window is at the moment? I think the current window is a coming together of a lot of different trends, um, which are great if you um, take advantage of them. And that's what property investing is all about. You said I've been doing this for 30 years, but every five, six years is a different strategy. Yes. And that's because... You got to optimize um, your. St I mean, I basically want to do what's easy, yeah. um, gives you maximum um, benefit um, for the least amount of effort. Because um, you're not you're not just looking at return on money; you're looking at return on time, return on effort. And rules change, opportunities change, market change, tax change, all sorts of things change, and they all create this potpourri of. Um, uh, either encouragement or dis incentives or disincentives to do something. At the moment, we've got a recession. We've got a massive oversupply of commercial property anyway because of changing trends on the high street and in offices. Um, we've also got the recession, which actually means that demand for commercial real estate contracts. Mm. Um, so you've got more defunct real estate than ever before. You've also got the interest rate issue. Now, commercial real estate is valued on a yield basis. Yes. So when interest, and basically the logic is this, if interest rates are 1% and you can get 1% in a bank, mm. then, well, if I get 4% on a commercial property doing that as buy to let, that's a good yes. deal. But if I can now get 5% sitting in the bank, then I have to have a greater return if I'm going to take it out of the bank and put it in commercial real estate as a commercial buy to let. So therefore the yield expectation on commercial buy to let has gone up which means the values have come down. Yeah. Compound that with the recession. And then, of course, the oversupply of shops and offices mm -hmm. because of internet, homeworking, all of that sort of stuff. You've got this massive issue of an oversupply of commercial property. Um, so commercial property, and by the way, in 2008, 2009, uh, commercial property values fell by more than 50%. Really? Wow. Residential properties for values did not fall by anything like that yeah. across the country. 
it's the same thing this time round. Commercial properties, you know, will will fall dramatically mm -hmm. because they're valued differently to residential properties. Yes. So residential properties, you know, there's a national average, but area to area, we'll all know areas where you won't see more than 10, 12% falls. But the, the magic is you take this low value commercial real estate per square foot mm -hmm. and use PD to um, turn it into residential real estate, yes. which is often three to four times the capital value per square foot when you made the conversion. So even if the market does zippo, yes. even if it goes sideways for a few years, You've you've made you your still, money. You still make money space of time. by converting that and understanding how to do that without restriction. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And so, some of the opportunities. Do you think they vary across the country, or do you think this is really countrywide? We have these opportunities now. Um, it's countrywide. I mean, I England, um, you know, Wales, Scotland. You've got a uh, blame devolved government for lack of opportunity there, but it's throughout England. And I think. Um, there is a vis issue with, with, with land values, sorry, property values in different areas. So if you're dealing with a part of the country where uh, um, the price of one bedroom, one bedroom apartment is 40 grand, yes, um, then it's probably going to cost you more than that to convert. Yes. So you do have to look at end values and viability. So as a rough rule of thumb, I'd say that um, in lower value areas, newer, more modern buildings are better than Victorian buildings, say, because the cost of conversion will be less, yeah. which mitigates the fact that the NGDVs, the gross development values, will be lower. Yes. So in higher value areas, you do something where you've got Victorian buildings, chimney breasts, basements to deal with, because the the capital value of the units you're creating is worth the extra hassle of, of going with those sort of older buildings. Yes. So in London, generally, there's a very competitive market. So you're based down uh, in London. And one of the things you see a lot is people overseas will come and invest in London. And it's not really for uh, making a return on investment. It's just return mm. of investment. It's a safe place just to park your cash. So how do you compete with uh, money like that? No, you don't. I mean, I think there are two types of London. There's central London, you know, where, um, you know, zone one, uh, and some of zone two on the tube map type thing. Um, that is a different entity. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got outer London. The challenging thing about London is 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 just the 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 basic fact that the yields are crap. The yields are exceptionally low, and um, you've got to look at your exit. Now, I think the best exit is through rental, mm -hmm. is through keeping the property in rental, and if um, you convert a building to residential in London, and you're only going to get 3.5% rental yield, then you simply can't refinance it without keeping a ton of money in. So you've also got to look at, um, you, with commercial to residential conversion, um, it's a bit like uh, you've got to look for the Goldilocks zones. Mm. You can't look for areas that are too low value mm -hmm. because the bill costs are too high. Yes. You can't look for areas that are too high value uh, because the rental yields for exit refinancing won't, won't Goldilocks, work. Goldilocks, yeah. So you've got to look for that for that optimum Goldilocks spot. Okay. And in London, do you see uh, also a reduction in landlords, like old school landlords? Landlords have been in the business for a number of years. Because we mentioned there's so much changes happening in the market. Do you think some of that uh, is causing people to get to a point thinking, actually, maybe we should be calling it a day? We see, start to see a fair amount of that in the, uh, in the Midlands. Um, it's accelerating, but you've got to remember that's always there mm. because... Property is a stage of life thing. I mean, property is an active investment. 
And when I got started in the 1990s, um, most of the properties I was buying in the 1990s were off older landlords. And this is what happens when you, and, and this is cyclic as well. In the early 1990s, we'd just come out of the 80s property boom. Uh, 1990s was a bit of a slump. If you're sitting there in your late 60s, early 70s, you're thinking, well, um, how many years have I got left? How many years is there until the next upward cycle? Do I want to, is it time now to cash in my chips and do something else with my life? So a, a lot of people that sell at particular stages of the cycle are doing because it's just not compatible with their stage of life. Yeah. If you're 30, staying in for the next boom, we all know the boom's going to happen, right? It's whether you can be, uh, whether you want to be in the game in eight years' time to benefit from that. So there's a lot of these stage of life landlords that are, of course, of course, selling up. That's, there's no doubt about that. Um, I think there's another thing that happens, particularly um, in London and in areas where capital values have risen. Now, you will know um, that when you invest in property, uh, it works if you have little or none of your own money tied up in the deal. That's why you do it. You know, because if you had a few hundred thousand pounds, why would you buy a place cash and just rent it out? There are other things you can do with that money. So it works because you may put money in at the beginning, but you pull it out because you've done some work, uplift the value, and you either put out, pull out all on, or, or all or leave a little bit of money in, and you make a good return on the cash that you've got invested. Fast forward 10 years. Now you're a landlord sitting there and you're thinking, well, I've got £250,000 tied up in that property. When I bought it, I may have had £10,000 invested in it or less. Yeah. But now I've got 250 k Now, what is the return on the cash, on the equity I've got invested in that property? What capital. is the uh, return on the effort in terms of complying with new regulations and all of that? And, and my time in dealing with all of this sort of stuff. So people have a different view because all the properties I bought I, in my first 10 years, I'd pulled all of my money out and I was making positive cash flow. Yes. So it was an infinite return on your money. Mm. It's free money. You've, you've got nothing tied up in the property. So any hassle is worth it. Yes. When, if the property's gone up and you've got three, 400K in that tied up in there, you don't think of it like that. Yeah. You think of it as well, you know, what, what return after paying mortgage, all of this and uh, HMO licensing, whatever it is, what have I got left? Very Divide that net in cash inflow over the cash I've got invested in the property. Calculate that as a percentage. Yeah. And you see that as a, in, in a different way. Yes. So a lot of people are selling because of that. Yes. Um, as well, of, of course, the reasons we all know about um, the unincorporated smaller landlords, the accidental landlords and obviously stage of life landlords. Yes. But whenever the market changes, there is a clear out. Yeah, there's, there's, that's really interesting because a lot of the projects that we're looking at right now are literally landlords in that situation where they've had large houses that were converted to apartments many, many years ago, often without the right building regs or planning in place, but they've been running for such a long time. They're in poor condition. They need a lot of money spending on them. And one landlord I was talking to literally a couple of weeks ago, he was telling me, he was buying houses on that street for about £13,000 back in the day, in the 80s. And we've got property there that's probably worth about five, £600,000 on those streets uh, now. And so we're having a conversation about him exiting and us improving, bringing those properties back up to a spec. And he's got a reasonable size portfolio. But there's several conversations like that we're having. And it's interesting you said 
when this change happens, some people think actually maybe now it's time to call it a day. Exactly. Let's just get out. Exactly. And there are people that would have bought those properties that at that time. And it's the appetite to do the same level of stuff that they did 20 years ago. Yeah. So the other elephant in the room, of course, is this EPC stuff, mm. you know, uh, where things will have to be brought into um, in, into line with so-called modern EPC. We can talk about that later, but that's all a load of nonsense. But um, the thing with the thing with that is that with some properties, it needs quite a fundamental refurb, yes. which um, people at a certain stage in life just simply don't have the appetite mm. to do. The one the housing associations we were speaking with recently as well, they've got some beautiful housing, very large housing, nice locations, and which are perfectly good quality accommodation. And they are actively selling all those off to get the cash in and just buy new property so they can be more energy efficient with their future stock. Uh, it seems crazy to me where actually those properties are just fantastic in great locations. That's happened a lot in, um, in London and high value areas. Um, in particular, I think, particularly during the 70s and 80s, a lot of housing associations just bought properties. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, I know in the 70s, a lot of uh, housing associations just bought properties directly off individual owners. Okay. So what they had is property here, property there, property there, and their different stock. And what makes sense for, for a management and maintenance perspective is to build a brand new block, mm -hmm. you know, have every bathroom with the same plumbing, the same access panels, yes. the same uh, taps and all the rest of it and have all these rental units in one block so it's easy to manage. Um, and uh, it's it's natural because it is very, very hard to manage a very large portfolio of little flats or individual prop smaller properties all over the place unless there's some concentration. So there's a lot, you get lots of strategies that evolve over time as well as we talked about every few years, new strategies. And sometimes you get buzzwords that are kind of uh, all the rage for a little while. Which kind of strategies do you think maybe people are looking at the moment that probably very what dangerous of, uh, to consider. What sort of buzzword? In a, I think a lot. Of I'll people, let you interpret that. A lot of people rebadge things, yeah. don't they? I mean, we were both at the um, at the judging day for the uh, property investor awards, and um, I'm, I'm I'm just fascinated with the language uh, people use. I mean, um, it, there was a time when um, you know it, it was bedsits. Yes. You know, now it's HMOs. Now it's co living. Yes. You know and. Uh, Literally, people. It's the same uh, product. It's uh, the same product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally, I've more seen. Your cushions. <laughs> I, I, exactly. I've seen people get an off cut of a B&Q worktop, yeah. um, whack it up against the wall with a couple of black brackets, put a couple of power sockets over the top of the worktop, yes. put a couple of laptops on the worktop, open the laptops up, take a picture, and it's a flexible co-working yeah. area. <laughs> so I don't know the buzz. There's, there's all sorts of things in buzzwords, but anything specific? Um, well, strategies, I guess, like rent to rent, for example. So we've got uh, well, I wouldn't a huge amount. We've got some rent to rent still in our in our in our portfolio, but it's slowly dwindling off, which I'll explain why in a moment. But my view is rent to rent is very challenging to do right now in this market. But yet you still get lots of people shouting and talking about oh, that's the best thing since sliced bread. I think rent to rent is very challenging in this market simply because of mortgage interest rates. It doesn't yeah. really make sense for the, uh, and it's it, there are so many problems if it's not done properly. And I think it's um, I think a lot of corners are cut. Mm. And I think the um, uh, there there is a lot of uh, people promoting it who are promoting training yes. uh, because ultimately 
um, if you want to uh, position a training course, you want to have the lowest barriers of entry. Mm. So if you can say you can do it with none of your own money, yes. um, then that is a strategy that fits that bill. But is it the best strategy for today? No. Um, commercial rent-to-rent has been um, in place for donkey's years, um, and it's still valid now. I mean, for example, people will rent an office block from a landlord yeah. and then sublet it as individual office suites yeah. um, under a more uh, serviced office type of model. That sort of thing's done all the time. You know, so rent-to-rent is not something that is um, uh, completely sort mm -hmm. of thrown out. It is really, really horses for, for courses. Yes. Um, I have a student of mine who rents um, farm buildings from a farmer okay. and um, then basically sublets them for people to store um, classic cars and things. And, right. You know, so there's different types of rent to rent, yeah, which yeah. is outside of the residential space, which yeah. can um, work very, very well. Uh, but the typical thing of buying a, sorry, renting a property off a landlord uh, who has got a um, mortgage to pay is not a model that's sustainable today. Yes. Well, one interesting thing I saw you getting involved in recently as is at one of the uh, property shows where you um, have an interesting conversation with a journalist, which uh, probably wasn't what it uh, appeared to be. You want to tell us a bit more about that? Oh, that was interesting. That was, um, it was at the Landlord Show. We were doing a, um, a stage version of Property Elevator Live and um, outside there was a rabble of about 30, 40 protesters. Um, and uh, they were, you know, shouting, they were hard left people, landlords are parasites and all of that. And it's quite an incredible language. Mm. Um, and uh, there was a couple of media people, uh, one guy from The Guardian and someone else from a YouTube channel, which I'll explain about. But I thought um, I would just go and confront the, uh, the guys and um, talk to them because one of their ringleaders had a loud hailer and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and uh, and I went up to the ringleaders uh, to have this conversation. And all they did was um, they shouted even louder, landlords are parasites. And she came up to me with a loud halo right up to my face. I had a couple of police officers come to me to make sure I was okay. <laughs> um, and then this Guardian reporter chatted to me. Um, I gave him my two pennies worth, but he only put one line in there. Okay. The Guardian report was highly biased towards the um, protesters. Right. And then there's this other group there, uh, and I've done a full video on this, which I'll be putting out very shortly, but there's this other group there, and they see all they're about is um, uh, their, their ideology. If you go to their website, uh, it, they clearly say that they are um, basically on the left of the political spectrum, and they're, and they're promoting those interests. So what they do is they go to these shows and they try to catch out landlords. Mm. So they'll give you, they'll come to you with a microphone and and they say they're you know they're they're media and you know you think oh yeah let's talk to them it's great I might be on telly you know yeah. all that sort of stuff. So they'll ask you some questions and they'll ask you positive questions. You think they're positive but they're looking to trap you. Okay. So they'll be saying you know so how big is your portfolio? Mm. Yeah. You must be really happy with the uh, rent increases uh, that are that, that, that you know um, that, that are happening now. They'll ask you questions like that, and then they'll look. They're looking for you to make a comment that they can take out of context yes. and then put on social media on basically all the hard left groups. Mm. 
and get loads and loads of vile comments and basically make the sentiment against landlords um, uh, negative. You know, I was at a comedy club um, this weekend. Okay. And it was on, quite on funny. stage or? No, no, no. I'm not on stage. I'm not that funny. I was going to say, I didn't know you had a little side uh, interest here. But we sat in the front row. And you know, when you sit in the front row of a comedy club, you get heckled and all of that by the people on stage. So um, he first um, chatted to someone else who was on the front row. And um, she, he said, what do you do? She said, I'm a doctor, pediatrist and all of that. And the whole audience clapped. Mm. Yeah. And then he picked on me. Uh, so I thought I'd have a little, I, I thought, because normally I think, game. <laughs> normally when I'm at a comedy club and I'm in the front row, I come up with something like, um, I'm a vet and I look after orphaned um, puppies with cancer because they can't make a joke about me then. <laughs> they can't say anything. You know? But I thought, I thought after the whole audience clapped yes. this woman for being a doctor, I just said, I'm a buy-to-let landlord. And there were booze. <laughs> and wow. boo. There were about 400 people at the comedy store. They were all booing. Wow. Now, and why is it that there's such a negative yeah. perception for what we do? But do you think it's Just changed considerably, even though the government's stance is no longer supportive of landlords, of investor, uh, investors in this way, or development even? Uh, Margaret Thatcher, bless her, kind of probably created this environment. Mm -hmm. Um, so that party has, seems to distance itself from landlords. What, why do you think that's the case? I think it's um, it's it's simply the numbers. Mm. You know, um, when you mentioned not, Margaret Thatcher, no more. Yeah. Um, when Margaret Thatcher uh, was in power, she used to talk about the homeowning democracy, and the majority of people own their own home. So policy was geared around home ownership. Yes. What's happened now? There's been a shift to renters. Mm. So, and it's where the votes are. Yes. So if there are more votes, votes. Yeah. Uh, in the renting population, that's, what, that's all that's happened. Yeah. So policy has shifted towards them. Yes. Uh, but the thing is that if, if there isn't the environment um, for property investors to invest in rental accommodation, um, then there aren't the homes for, 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 for people to live in. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense because if they make it very uncomfortable for landlords, landlords will leave the market because if it doesn't make financial sense for them, and then who's going to fill the gap? So no one's not rushing to fill the gap. No one wants to be um, seen as, um, I don't know, a villain of society mm. for what they do. Yes. No one really wants that. No one wants to go yeah. to a comedy club yeah. and you know, <laughs> get booed. You know, in the early 2000s, for example, um, buy to let property developing was an in thing. Yes. I actually remember this time specifically around about 2007. I came home and I was switching channels and eight, about eight o'clock at night and on BBC One, BBC Two, uh, ITV, Channel Four, there were property programs right. of some sort. Wow. You know, where there was, was Sarah Beanie, yes, it was, yeah, you know, yeah. how to do a million pound this, how to do this, that, and the other. It was all it was something to do with um, making money from property on every single channel. Yes. Now that sort of um, mainstream uh, has vaporized into into a sort of contempt. Mm. And I think when people go to uh, landlord shows and stuff like that, and if people um, are uh, have a mic put in front of them uh, by someone claiming to be media, um, be very, very careful yes. because these guys aren't your friends. Yes. They're looking for sound bites. They're looking for something to say that basically demonizes us for what we do. Yes.
Randy, you've been teaching and supporting and mentoring people for many, many years uh, as well and helping and guiding them through property. Uh, and I've been supporting people for a number of years myself. There seems to be lots and lots of people who are uh, are trainers, mentors, and property gurus that kind of uh, do one deal and now they're an expert. For somebody trying to find someone to help them, what do you think they need to look for? What is it that that's important, do you think, in the the minds of making decisions. I still have mentors that I help and guide me through things and I think about, okay, what do I want when I'm trying to identify who to help me? What's your thought? I think um, you've got to um, be clear on um, whether the uh, person you're seeking advice from, mentoring from, teaching from, is actually the real deal, whether they walk the talk or not, or just talk. And what I think is a good thing um, is that if uh, your mentor, uh, the, the, the majority of his or her footprint is actually in doing, yes. as opposed to um, teaching. Talk, talking about it. Um, and there is actually a, a kind of, uh, because, because otherwise you're just talking about it and you have a training business. Um, we have a property development business, we have a, a training business, but we also have a finance business. Yes. So. Yeah, I mean, a part of that is what I do on Property Elevator, but but we actually joint venture with people. We also provide bridging finance and uh, uh, finance to people, mm -hmm. particularly people who are on our courses, to do these deals. Yes. So it's a case of um, teaching people how to do stuff, teaching people how to do stuff in the way that you do it, but also getting involved in those deals um, through equity or straightforward loan, yes. um, loan, loan funding. Uh, so there's a wider picture and uh, and reason why and i think um the person that you seek counsel from i think um the values should align mm. you know uh, uh, there should be an alignment of values and the way you approach things yes uh, i think that's very very important because mm. a lot of times the message is um very very similar yes. um but some the the messenger is the one that's different now, the thing is, there are lots of things you can do in property. Mm. There are all sorts of, you know, there's an unlimited number of options yeah. to make money. But there's a way to uh, do that in a way that is, you know, it makes you feel good. You know, it gives a, it leaves a good taste in everyone's mouth. Yes. Now, thank you uh, for that. And I think it's something that comes up a lot in terms of people trying to work out, okay, who, who should they should learn from. And I, I agree with you. When I'm trying to find who to learn from, I'm looking for what are they actually doing that they're way ahead of me on that I could actually learn from and benefit from that experience and that knowledge. Yes, yes, yes. And I think, by the way, I think the there's another school of thought where, you know, um, the way ahead of you stuff. Um, because there are a lot of people, as you said, who have just done one or two deals and um, they, they've set themselves up in training. Yes. And some people think, well, okay, look, you know, this guy's a couple of steps ahead of me, so I'll go to them as opposed to this guy's loads of steps ahead of me and might be a little bit far removed from what I'm doing today. But going to this guy that's just one or two steps ahead of you hasn't made the mistakes yet. They don't in, have in, Exactly. They don't have enough experience and they've still got mistakes to make yes. in getting there. So they might be able to help you make the next step. But someone, you know, who's seasoned, I mean, you've been around, you know, for as long as I have, you know, but if you've had that, footprint in the industry, then um, you can help 
some a new entrant yes. really structure the business because there's lots of things I would do differently mm. with what I knew now yes. if I when I was starting out yes. and you can help them put in place the structure and the way of doing business from day one yes. so they don't have to change it after a little yeah, while. It's like going through a minefield and you know where the mines are. You can just see exactly. through it because exactly. you know where, where it is or what to avoid. Exactly. The other thing we're both a big fan of is networking and uh, you run a huge networking event, the largest in the country every every month. What do you think is the key benefit for firstly you running and hosting an event and secondly for people attending networking events? Um, networking is absolutely key because um, it's a people business. Um, what 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 benefit I get from it? I it keeps my ear to the ground. You know, I really feel when you know you ask me questions mm. and stuff like that on what's going on. I do have. Um, I feel I have my finger on the pulse because mm. I speak to so many passionate property people yes. who are doing so many different things. Um, and I think in times of um, um, you know this is the, the, uh, look. I'm not convinced by what words. We're in a crisis point yeah. at the moment. You know, next year is going to be a very, very uh, interesting time for property investors. And and many property investors will go to the wall. Yes. Investors and developers will actually They're go bust yes. uh, next year. Um, so, and, and, and some people um, are just caught like rabbits in, mm. in headlights and they don't know where to go. Yeah, so what I find with, with Baker Street, when people come and meet us, um, what we're trying to do every single month is give people that direction. Yes. Is trying to predict what's going to happen next. Uh, based on real data, experts have been there and done it before and give that level of insight. So when, when we do a Baker Street property meet, and we do it every month, you know, there isn't a, no, one's, no one is coming along with a presentation that they've you know, produced on PowerPoint yes. two years ago. Yes. It's all brand new stuff. Yes. Uh, it has to be. Uh, because what we what we are home for and recognise we are home for is giving people that sense of direction. Because mm. you can't get anything from reading the Daily Mail, mainstream media. It's all against us anyway. Yes. It's all soundbite, clickbaity, and all of that. What we try to do is take what's happening and apply it specifically to property investors and developers. Take out all the other spin. Uh, what does it mean for you guys over the six and next six months, uh, next three years, next five years, and more importantly? Um, it's only when you've got your own ship in order mm. can you start thinking about yes. the opportunities. So um, networking these days is about getting exposed to those ideas of what you have to do to ensure that your ship is in order to cope with these stormy waters and you are ready and primed up to take uh, advantage of the opportunity. Because, you know, remember what I said? I said, I said next year, there's a massive crisis. Mm. People are going to go bust. But over the next two or three years, fortunes are going to be made yes. in this recession. And for the people that are ready for it. Um, knowledge, timing. Knowledge, timing. Um, and also um, that confidence to pull the trigger. Mm. You know, a lot Very of people easy think... to get into indecision. Exactly. Yes. And you've got to be hanging around the right group of people who are doing stuff. Yes. And who are trigger pullers. Yes. Because that will then give you the confidence. Actually they're doing it. They're progress actually. Exactly. There you can see them progressing gives you the confidence to Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Ranjan, I really appreciate you taking the time to to do this. Before we wrap up, what's the best way for people to connect with you and reach out to you? Um head over to my um, YouTube Succeed in Property uh, and come down to Baker Street. We meet yes. meet uh, every month. Uh, in the last week of every month in central London, people come from all over the country. 
Uh, you can find out about our next event at bakerstreetpropertymeet.com. Excellent. And so the YouTube channel again for people who can get some great content um, there. Succeed in Property is my YouTube channel. And, and look me up on Instagram as well, yeah. Ranjan Property. Ranjan, thank you so much. Much appreciated. Great thank to you. see you. Great to see Likewise. you. Yeah.